Welcome to the M Files. You are listening to Valerie and Ella Mayers, Patty Wood Finkel, and John Woodworth bringing you the news, reviews, and interviews from the museum world. Over the past six months, we've been speaking with our friends and museum colleagues about their institutions, experiences, and expertise. To wrap up our first season, we're going to take a look back at what we've learned and experienced podcasting about museums. season one closer, instead of doing a a museum wire or having a a guest interview, we're going to do a couple of uh, roundtable discussion points just to show that we actually have learned something this season. And I I will fully admit we've had a lot of fun talking about museums and uh, podcasting. The first thing we want to talk about is the new approaches that have been used by museums to reach audiences during the recent or the ongoing pandemic. We've heard a lot about these uh, approaches from some of the people we've interviewed and how their institutions have adapted to the the pandemic conditions. So do you feel that these adaptations are going to continue once health conditions improve or fade away gradually in favor of more traditional approaches to reaching audiences uh, in the next, say, six to eight months or year? Well, I think people still want the object experience at the museum. You know, you go to see D the Mammoth you go to see the actual artifacts that were part of the institution. But some of the uh, live stream videos and different opportunities that we've seen um, for being online and reaching a wider audience, I think should stay. And hopefully they will stay. I, I agree. Um, when it comes to exhibits and exhibitions, I think that people will still go to museums to, to experience those. But for example, we have um, resurrected our spring lecture series at our museum. And this year we've done it completely virtually online. Um, normally for our lecture series, unless we had a really big name speaker, um, we would get 30 people, somewhere between 20 and 40 people, uh, average of 30 For the last two lectures that we've done virtually, um, we had 80 for last time, and we had almost 90 this time from 11 states and four countries. We had five international uh, listeners last night. We did our our virtual lecture series. So we were talking amongst ourselves, amongst the staff, and we're pretty sure that next year when we do our spring lecture series again, it's going to be virtual again. It seems to be a really great platform to reach a large number of people. But these lectures are backed up with PowerPoint. It's something that you can easily do online and something that you can easily facilitate online. And people can actually sometimes, um, in the case if they have trouble seeing or um, have trouble reading at a distance, like I can't read at a distance anymore, but the information's right there in front of me on my computer screen. So it's actually more enjoyable. So... I think that the hybrid model is probably going to be the popular choice. And it's funny that we were talking about this because on a couple of the Facebook groups that I'm a member of, that's been the topic of conversation the last couple of days is, do you think that the virtual models are going to continue, like you said, or a hybrid model is going to continue or are people going to stop doing all of the virtual and all the hybrid and go straight back to to the old style way of doing things. So it really is a hot topic. You know, the one thing that I keep thinking about is the question of resources. Mm -hmm. A lot of our smaller museums that have gone and started to use some of these virtual approaches have done so because 
they haven't had, you know, they could focus all of their resources, whether that's their educator or their professional staff or their volunteers on a virtual program versus, you know, because they had to. Now that we're moving into a, a period of time where health restrictions are being dialed back and in-person visitation and in, or attendance is increasing, you know, we might see a hybrid model more in a larger institution, but for those smaller institutions, I think they're, they'll have to refocus less on the virtual and more on the in-person because that's what, you know, they don't have the amount of staff time to do multiple approaches. They'll have to do one or the other. All right. So my rebuttal to that is we were, again, having this conversation at work today and doing this virtual lecture series so much less work. It's amazing. Before we were coordinating with speakers, trying to find speaker fees, getting them into town, uh, finding hotels, transportation, um, venues, all of the stuff that was part of the speaker series before, which is why we had decided to take a break from it before even COVID, we had decided to take a break from it. Um, and this lecture series is so easy. Everything's virtual everything is um, done via email or phone call whenever we're setting up the lectures and it is so much easier and so much less time consuming on our staff that now we have time not only to organize the lecture series but to do other things on top of that do you think um, there will be zoom burnout though possibly but and i love the hybrid mm -hmm. i mean i think that social aspect of why we in you know come together and have conversations and Q&A after a lecture speaker. It, it's, it's really in person. We do that on Zoom, though. Right, right. But I don't know. There's something to be said for the in-person. Tonight's one of the first nights I saw members of a board that I'm on together in a year. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty exciting. That's why I'm all dressed up for the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I think... I, Val, I think you're right. There, there is a an aspect that's the social aspect of getting people together in a location. You know, on the flip side of that, there's the convenience of being able to log in at a moment's notice mm -hmm. yes. with your your mobile device, your computer, and be able to access that program. You know, so I don't know if there's going to be a Zoom burnout. I think there's going to be people have been talking about this uh, the shift. You know, not only in the museum world, but in business in general, where you, mm -hmm. you're, you're seeing businesses realizing they don't have to have a physical space for their employees as long as they have a virtual space where they can still conduct their business. Yeah, even the if the overhead, the cost, mm -hmm. I think is part of this. But I kind of want it both ways. I want my cake. I want to eat it too. You know, the events that we sponsor for this group that I just mentioned the last couple events started to go limited in person, but I love staying home in my sweatpants. Mm -hmm. It was fabulous. Yeah. But then tonight, I just felt like dressing up and I was so happy to go out. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that depends also on the event or the meeting. I mean, if it's a, if it's a type of meeting or a type of event where there isn't going to be a lot of socializing because of whatever the event is and you're paying attention to that. Um, I don't think that staying virtual with those type of things would be as um, 
likely to lend itself to burnout as the events where you go to and you expect to be social, where you expect to talk to people and catch up and and see them and that sort of stuff. So, you know, some of the the events where at the museums where it's kind of a drop by and see your friends and hang out and do an activity, um, those are really hard to do, I think, virtually. So, you know, one thing to think about as museums look at that hybrid model is that, you know, from a technical aspect, a lot of institutions have spent time over the last year to build the infrastructure they need Mm -hmm. to present virtually or to learn the skills using very basic means to, to present virtually. And that's not going to go away. That knowledge, that, that equipment is already in place at this point. Uh, So, you know, it might be easy, easier to implement a hybrid model because that, that information, that, that uh, equipment is already on site versus having to build that capacity uh, without a, a need. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think this is something that's going to be continue, continuously examined and looked at and evaluated, especially as those health conditions get dialed back. And we're, we're I hate to say, I don't want to say we get back to normal, but we get back to a less restrictive environment. Mm-hmm. So sort of building off of that question is, and we talked about it a little bit, is the idea of employee wellness. Now, being separated from people can have a negative effect uh, on morale, on... Unless you're an introvert. Even introverts need to uh, socialize somewhat. No, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Then then maybe I'm not as introverted as I thought. This has been an amazing year. Yeah. Some of us might uh, disagree on that point, but <laughs> that, that's off the topic. But, you know, many of us have been working or have been teleworking or otherwise separated from our friends, loved ones and colleagues. And the question of promoting and maintaining wellness, you know, our personal wellness is something that I think we need to continue even as we're able to get back out. I'll be the first to admit that I've been in a couple of situations pre-COVID where i faced burnout because I wasn't taking care of myself. And I know a lot of colleagues have echoed those sentiments as they've found themselves in an extremely stressful conditions with whether that's COVID or whether that's COVID related budget cuts or or different things like that. So what are some of the things that you feel we can continue to promote to improve the wellness of ourselves, our colleagues, our, our employees moving forward? Well, ironically, one of the, um, highlights of my year after saying that I've really enjoyed being at home and alone, which I have, um, has been this podcast, being able to hang out with you guys and talk about museums, which is my passion and talk to our friends and colleagues about, you know, what drives them and what, what they've done to kind of cope with the pandemic and cope with some of the working conditions. I think a lot of the museums, the smaller museums, out here in the West haven't had as severe of lockdown situation as some of the larger museums back East and on the the West coast. Um, So that's been interesting to talk to different people that have had different situations and different levels of lockdown at their museums. Some of the, our colleagues haven't been to work in a year. It's been a year since they went into lockdown. Whereas um, some of the smaller institutions here, you know, opened back up. We opened up June 1st and we've been at work 
just like normal with reduced capacity. And of course, all of our safeguards and cleaning and masks and sanitizing. But, you know, we've been in the office. So, yeah, I think the podcast has been very rewarding. Mm -hmm. And it was at first very relaxing to say, oh, I don't have this meeting or that meeting. And then, you know, you're still working. You have the normal um, tiredness that comes after a long work day. And I think, oh, well, we're recording tonight. I'm kind of tired. And then afterwards, I just felt so invigorated. And I wanted to text you guys every time and say, thank you. <laughs> I just feel like myself again because I talk to people. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought maybe I was too tired, but it made such a difference in, in helping me feel really good mm -hmm. and connecting with our colleagues that we haven't seen for so long. And I think it's interesting, too, you know, the topic of the Colorado Wyoming Association of Museums annual conference this year is wellness. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the month, we'll be you know, seeing that and a plug for them free conference this year mm -hmm. on all online. It's easy to uh, get caught up in caught up in the flow of life where you're you have meetings and you have activities, you're doing all these things and you don't realize how much of a play on your time those can be mm -hmm. until you reach that breaking point and you're like, well, how did I get here? And so maybe the one of the silver linings of the situation over the last year has been a chance for people to reflect on what is important. What, mm -hmm. what do we need to do? You take away all of the superfluous activities that you're doing and you, you get a chance to really tighten down on what those, those key priorities are. So I think that's important. And I think that's, I hope that's something that keep on doing as we move forward. I know this is, you know, the first part of the pandemic was, pretty easy. I was sitting here playing video games most of the time, but uh, <laughs> later on, different things happened and I found myself in a stranger place than I ever imagined possible. <laughs> and no, I did not journey somewhere distant, but... He uh, was not in the Twilight Zone. Although I certainly felt like it once or twice. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's easy to, especially I think for um, a lot of people that work at nonprofits, not just museums, but a lot of us really want to help and really want to be engaged with our community and with people and places around us. And it's easy to be overwhelmed. All of a sudden you're on three or four different boards or you're, you're helping out with this fundraiser and that event and this event. And the pandemic has been nice in allowing us, like you said, to step back and really decide kind of what's important when we start going to meetings again you know, which meetings do we really want to go to? Which ones do we really want to engage with? Hopefully some of us have gotten some personal time back and been able to really evaluate that and then going forward when things start opening up again. And like you said, I wouldn't say back to normal necessarily, but when things start to resemble uh, a version of normal, whatever the new normal is, that we'll all be able to to have a really good idea of where we want to commit ourselves and, and what is going to reinvigorate us and what is going to keep us focused on the things that we like to do. So the last question or the last <laughs> point, we started this podcast just over six months ago. Our first episode dropped, I believe, October 2nd of 2020. And I'll be the first to admit as sort of the, uh, the technical director, the audio engineer, the uh, running the stuff behind the scenes. Uh, I have learned a lot about audio, about editing, about how to do all of this. And I, I will apologize to all of our listeners right now. All of that editing, that's my fault. So Editing is not easy. 
<laughs> I've had to do it for work, and it's been awful. I mean, that I, I honestly think learning the tech or trying, beginning to learn the technology has been one of the biggest challenges for me, making it sound good, making it, I want, you know, obviously we want things to sound authentic. And I, I, I so if there's a little him and haw there every so often, that that's just me being authentic. But in terms of, you know, what's been the most rewarding thing for me, it's been the ability to do something new, mm-hmm. to uh, expand you know, my repertoire, even if it isn't where I'd like it to be, I keep pushing myself to, to get it better. I, my audio setup here has shifted from an iPad and a, a couple of boxes that linked all of our microphones together to a small audio board that is linking everything together. It looks like a, a rat's nest of cables. I mean, I'm just hoping it just stays working, but... Um, <laughs> He's improved our tech quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. What are some of the challenges and rewards that the two of you have have noticed uh, in the last six months? I think it's incredible that we have a podcast. I know. I'm so excited. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, John, you deserve all the tech credit. Yep. And Patty lining up speakers, all of the outlines, yeah. the questions. But I'll give myself credit because it was my idea. It was. And essentially, it was a text message to John and Patty saying, some some Yahoo I saw on TV has a podcast. We could do that. We're, we're interesting to talk to. And we and I thought we have so much fun when we get together at, you know, professional events and, and seeing each other socially that we should have a podcast. And I didn't quite know what to expect, but like I, I said earlier, it's been so rewarding. It has just meant the world to me. And being able to connect with those colleagues has been incredible during this time mm-hmm. that, that has so much, it had so much uncertainty and it still does. So that's been really important to me. When I, when I got that text message from you, I was like, is she serious? <laughs> I mean, I, I had to think about it and I'm like, okay. You know, this might be one of those sure, ideas we that we could try. It, you know, what might, do we need? And then we spent a few <laughs> evenings kind of going back and forth with, "What do you need for a podcast?" I don't no, I've never done a podcast. Yeah, and and then there was the, oh wow, she's serious about this. I actually got to you know do some book learning to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing here. <laughs> and then uh, I I still remember we our first recording session. We were at the Fort Casper Museum. I got everything set up the night before in my, my apartment. And then we got, I took it down, set it up at, you know, in the conference room we were using to record that first pair of episodes and it wasn't working. <laughs> and I just felt my heart start to beat. And I thought, okay, Woodward, what did you do this time? <laughs> and the museum was open and people were wandering <laughs> into the gallery. <laughs> and we were talking. so, and we were so like, stiff and formal i was just reading these are the questions we're going to ask the guests word for word for word but i must say they did reject my idea for us also to publish a cookbook but i'm glad we <laughs> went forward with the I, podcast. I don't know that we rejected it so much as we, we just haven't explored it yet okay now. yeah i mean you can't you know i i honestly forgot about the cookbook until right now so <laughs> i that's how far back on the burner it was. Recipes early. for museum professionals? Come on, yep. that's a bestseller. Yeah, uh, I think we were talking about drink recipes, not anything else. Ru- Russell likes to say that his back burner has a back burner, so perhaps that's where your book went. Book idea went. Usually, the back burner for me means on the shelf in the very back shelf. <laughs> you know, I have things in my kitchen that have been there. 
I mean, cooking appliances, not, I mean, I think I have a fondue pot here from the seventies, but okay, you have a fondue pot and you haven't brought that out. Oh, when things loosen up, <laughs> fondue party. Fondue. That, that's, that's like fancy. That's very end right before COVID hit at least. Yeah. Fondue, chocolate fountains. Oh, Fountains. Where did you go to that chocolate fountain? I mean, there's chocolate. It's all melty. Goodness, you've never had a chocolate fondue party. Well, I I have. Yes, but you know, the the fountain is that natural evolution. It's Mm -hmm. just a fondue pot. See, you're not alone. Oh, the cookbook's (laughs) taking shape right here, right now, listeners. There you go. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the podcast. It's been awesome. It's been fun to reach out to, you know, our colleagues and to be able to talk to them and, and ask them, hey, you want to do this really cool idea with us? The first couple of emails I sent out, I looked back at the wording. I'm like, oh, my word, I can't believe I sent those out. It was so badly worded, but I was so excited to get this started and hoping that, you know, our guests would say, yes, we want to join you. That well, sounds like fun. And, and, you know, the other half of it is, it's been rewarding to see where, you know, how, how uh, widespread our podcast has, has gone in just the six months. I mean, we still have, we have a small audience. I mean, most of our, our episodes are getting between 40 and 50 downloads. You know, I check to see who's downloading them and where. And no, I don't know who you are, but I have an idea of where you live. There you go. But I mean, we're seeing, we've had uh, people download our our uh, podcast from across the globe. I mean, I've seen Australia, yes. I've seen Asia, I've seen a bunch in Europe, including our, we have a small group in, in England and also in France that likes to download us. And Shout to out us. to Europe. Yeah. Thank you guys. But uh, I mean, you know, there's a, an appeal and that's, that's a, that's a very humbling for me to see that, you know, people are, you know, find our brand of museum hijinks entertaining and informative. In that order. I feel like we're on an episode of Scooby-Doo now since we've got hijinks going on. Well, if it wasn't for those darn kids <laughs> and that dog. <laughs> or is that more what happens at your house with all your dogs? And the darn kids. Don't forget them. <laughs> and, and your cats. I mean, Yeah, the cats were part of the podcast. They, were, they got in on the Zoom. Steve, Steve Perwin is uh, internet famous now. <laughs> That's one of her cats, by the way, if you're just joining us. Yep. He was also on our uh, Zoom lecture last night. Museum. <laughs> it wasn't a natural history program on the history of feline evolution. No, it, it was on Cretaceous dinosaurs. Um, so, yeah, absolutely no relation. Did you, did you at least dress him up like a a sauropod or? No, no. Uh, actually, uh, we were talking about uh, a time period when sauropods were mysteriously missing from the fossil record in that specific area. I'm glad that my memory of paleontology put sauropods in the Cretaceous era. I'm, you know, I'm an archaeologist. I don't do dinosaurs. <laughs> yep, yeah, there are archaeologists all over the place. I used to have a t-shirt that said that, you know, archaeologists don't do dinosaurs. Yep. Yeah. People <laughs> ask us if we have the, the t-shirt, the magnet, the postcard. I'm like, no, sorry, guys. I mean, I still have my Marshalltown trowel somewhere. I mean, you know, there's nothing more sacred than an archaeologist trowel. I take mine out on dinosaur digs now. I feel like I've like violated the, the archaeological code. 
the ghost of George Frizen is going to rise up and get you. Yes. <laughs> so that wraps up season one of the M Files. If you're new to the program, please check out our backlog of episodes. Just a quick reminder before we sign off, keep your eyes peeled to our Facebook page over the summer months. We will be posting news and updates to keep the conversation going and may host an event or two. Season two of the M Files will begin in October 2021. Thank you, and we hope you'll listen to us next time.